Hello, friends. It's Kirk Henderson once again for a third straight episode this week with no basketball being played because of the uh, Texas uh, wind or winter, you know, advisory, horrifying event, whatever's happening down there. I'm trying to fill your feed with uh, other, you know, basketball related talk instead of our post game stuff. Today, I'm joined by uh, Seth Partnow, who ended up being my second guest way back when I started doing this. You should know Seth because he's on The Athletic and does some writing there, and also is on the very good and very, you know, remarkably entertaining uh, Nerder, Nerder She Wrote podcast on the Athletic uh, Basketball, you know, podcast feed. Um, Seth, how are you? Doing fine. Uh, I, I was really your second, your second guest ever. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was Matt than you. I needed to, I was trying to bring in uh, <laughs> people who, who, who would, you know, draw the ears, but yeah, that was like two years ago, and then I just got lazy about doing these because, it's like when when there's not a game, I don't really want to do these. <laughs> but you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, you've had you've done two things which have really kind of uh, in the last you know week or so, which have sort of crossed with with what's been of my you know kind of railing interest as as the Mavericks have uh, you know they've regained a little bit of, of footing as of right now they're thirteen and fifteen, but for a while there they were really bad, and the thing is they they still might be really bad. Uh, but they've at least won some games. And on Friday, you and, and Dave DeFore and Mo talked about uh, drop coverage extensively. And it was probably the most interesting, like, tactical basketball discussion that I've heard in a long time. So could, could you kind of walk our listeners through first sort of what drop coverage is and why teams started going going to it so frequently, and now why teams may need to stop. Sure. So, I mean, drop coverage is a is a broad sort of, of description that covers a number of different strategies, and maybe it's it's easiest to define in sort of opposition to what it kind of replaced. Um, if you think back to kind of the the last decade, the the aughts. Um, a lot of pick and roll coverage, you, you'd see something like, uh, you know, in my mind's eye, at least it's always Kevin Garnett uh, coming up on a ball screen, coming way up over the top of the ball screen as if he's going to like, you know, jump out from behind the corner and scare the, scare the ball handler. Uh, and, and, you know, mobile bigs like that chasing ball handlers all the way out to half court. And that was kind of um, a lot of how teams played. Um, uh, for a number of years, and and what ended up happening, especially as the point guards continued to get better and better, um, is what that ended up happening is is big men ended up having to slide with point guards, and that's a bad scene. Um, and so a lot of kind of players who who could be useful players kind of got exposed because they're being asked to to slide their feet with a with a guy a foot shorter and it, it obviously didn't work. So um in response to that a number of teams I think I you know uh the team that is probably most popularized it but I don't think uh they were really the originator was was uh the kind of the uh Mike Budenholzer's first Bucks team uh, the last year I was with the team where uh, instead of having Brooke Lopez kind of come up to meet the ball handle of the screen kind of had him lay back and stay near the rim. Um, large man near rim is a good start to a defense and, <laughs> um, uh, um, and, and sort of the, the idea there is, is you, you kind of um, 
hopefully the the ball handler defender can stay with the the ball handler enough to kind of force him to the big man and and then it's either a you know a heavily contested shot at the rim or even better for the defense kind of a mid-range pull up a floater somewhere in there and you know you maybe give up a few ex, you know some slightly better shots from the mid-range maybe even a few extra threes but what you don't do is give up shots at the rim and that means you don't foul you don't give up offensive rebounds and so you you know to uh to borrow a, a you know paraphrase Stan Van Gundy you build a wall around the rim and and kind of build your defense out from there um and so that um a number of teams have kind of gone to that area with, with you know, which has allowed Brooke Lopez. Uh, certainly, you know, this, this Rudy Gobert does not chase ball handlers out to half court. Um, the Pacers have had Miles Turner able to stay near the basket much more, um, and and so that's that's sort of the essence of drop coverage is 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 the uh, um, the, the screener defender on a pick and roll doesn't come up very very high to the ball and kind of almost gives the, the ball handler room. Hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, that wasn't, that wasn't the simplest explanation, but and there's no, and, no, and it's obviously good. There's, there's a, there's a broad range of, 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 you know, ways to play it from there, uh, depending on both how the, the ball handlers defender plays it. And, you know, uh, the better defenders, kind of come up to a certain level and retreat with the ball handlers where um, kind of the less mobile bigs just kind of stand, wait, stand back and, and hope and, and, and um, hope the play comes to them. That, that sounds, that sounds familiar to something I've, I've seen the past 15 or so games. Uh, what, what are you seeing in kind of the, the, the league-wide data that you're looking at that is, is is making has made you sort of at least put out the notion that teams should should really start considering either mixing up how they're you know deploying drop or whether it needs to become kind of a secondary you know tool in the arsenal as opposed to for a team like Dallas kind of honestly their primary their primary coverage. So there's a few things here. First of all, it's a I like to call it a casino style defense. You're going to be the house. Um, you know, if you, uh, you know, that the, in a casino game, the house has an edge and while an individual player might, you know, go on a hot streak and win some money, you, you have enough people playing enough games, you win a percent over time. And sort of the idea of forcing mid range shots against the league as a whole, uh, forcing jump shots basically against the league as a whole is profitable. Uh, the first problem that that kind of this 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 coverage has is especially as you start to play against better teams, you're not playing the league as a whole. Mm-hmm. So the the players who can you know make contested jump shots uh, can give you problems here. Um, and if I start to describe teams that have players who can make contested jump shots, I'm talking about the contending teams because we're talking about superstar players who are on contending teams. Um, you know, a guy who gave us problems with, with that, with the Bucks was CJ McCollum. It's like for most players, okay, if he's going to hit 10 of 14 out of those shots and you lose, you, you know, you nod your head, shake his hand and move on. Except there's some guys who that's not an outlandish night for them. Uh, so that's the first problem. 
Um, second problem is for whatever reason, this might be specific to this year or it might just be some other things. Um, teams are shooting the crap out of the ball this year. So the, the math behind being the casino has uh, – it, it, it's, it's like you, you're, you're, you're running a blackjack game and now every, every team is counting cards against you. <laughs> so instead of you having you know, a couple percentage point edge, you have a, you're, you're having a couple percentage point difference. And again, I, I don't know if it's a lack of fans, if it's the travel schedule, if the league has just gotten much better at shooting, I doubt that. But right. the league as a whole is on pace for record accuracy on on the jump shots in a number of different ways you can you can uh, you can slice it. So my our, our listeners are probably completely unaware of what you're talking about because they've had to witness a remarkable number of bricks through the first 20 games <laughs> through the season. Um, but even that, you know, like when you when you kind of look at like the Mavericks shooting. It's so far outside. We've we've watched uh, the last. I don't know. It's probably six to eight games. They've shot the ball. Like it's it's been a reg- it's been a positive regression in a way that's been almost laughable because it's probably one of the main things that that's prevented them from from losing these games. Because when they hung like one hundred and forty eight on on um, the Pelicans the other day, they had twenty five threes. <laughs> it's like that that sort yeah. of stuff. I, the the volume of threes is is just kind of a riot. So. That's that's kind of that's really interesting because it seems like from a from a you know defensive tactics point of view, if if players and teams are shooting better, and like you said, it's it's you know it's kind of hard to say you're gonna have to see a lot more for it to really because it, it, it's enough to to make you wonder if it's gonna regress at some point, right? Is that is that kind of what you're saying with the hot shoot with the shooting so far this year? I mean, I think we're we're far enough into the season, and it's enough of an outlier that I. You, you have to consider that there's something environmental that is oh. like just to, so uh, give or take the, the, in an average season, an uncontested three is made in the low 38s is kind of what the league will shoot out, shoot on those. Um, this right. year it's up, it's up close to 40%. It's like last I looked, it was 39.7. <laughs> and it's not, it's not a question of like better guys are shooting. Or, or anything like that. It's the same basic group of players taking shots in the same volume. Well, higher volumes, but the distribution right. is kind of, you know, it, 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 uh, Steph Curry is not taking a larger chunk of shots relative to Kelly Oubre than, than, than was, was previously the case. Um, so that, and, and that's like, lead, the, this would be the highest, league-wide three-point field goal percentage of all time, including the short line seasons in the late 90s. Um, huh. And that's, and that's, it's not a huge change. You know, you're talking about like 38-2 versus 39-7 or whatever on uncontested shots. It's not mm-hmm. a huge difference, but it's enough of a difference to change something from that's okay to, to give up a few extra of those to, oh, my God, we're getting crushed by giving those up. Particularly against the better teams. Okay, that's really against the better teams. Against the better teams, but but it's turning everybody into what were the better teams a year Mm. ago. Okay, okay, that framing, that framing, I understand. So this is, and and is there is there anything at the moment that you're seeing that defenses 
that that defenses are doing differently that is working that could serve as a, a as a different form because you know for for example with Dallas they they're just not really playing any defense so I don't really have any good comparison points because the only times where their defenses have looked good were when they were switching everything because they have tall players they have tall rangy players and at least with the switches things were getting a little chaotic but it didn't feel like they were just getting pummeled on on open looks i mean is is what is happening in in the rest of the nba to at least be able to to counter this or is there really just nothing yet oh i mean there's definitely switching uh we're seeing more teams play more zone um Mm. kind of from a from an execution standpoint i mean i think a big part is and this was that this was a real key i think for for the buck success the last two years and has maybe been something they haven't done as well this year um is so it's there's a little bit of a hammer and anvil thing where the, the, the guard has to get up over the screen and be on the ball handler's hip to sort of force him towards the basket. Uh, right. What's, if, if, if the guard is getting, getting completely picked off, um, and this is, I think this, since more teams, so many teams are playing drop coverage now that guys are looking to kind of come off that screen and just you know, ease into a warm-up jump shot. If you're not staying attached to that guy, he can come off in second gear and just mm-hmm. rise up and shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so you see that a lot. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a big difference we're seeing is because guys are getting so many reps against this coverage night in and night out that they're coming off that screen prepared to do that. So if you don't do a good job of, of you know, the, the, the term in the league is staying attached, if you don't do a good job staying attached – the guy's just going to rise up and shoot, and it's a pretty good shot. Whereas, you know, two years ago, the guy's coming off that screen. It's like, oh, wow, the defense is back. I have to pull up. I'm off balance. Mm-hmm. And so now they're just they're like, well, if, I, if the guy doesn't stay attached, I'm just going to pull up. And, and that, that level of familiarity and comfort and anticipation that the shot might be there, I think that has to have some, some effect on both the volume and accuracy of those, those shots we're seeing. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering if if and this is kind of a given, but the the lack of practice time. I mean, these guys already don't get a ton of time to practice, but there's even fewer time between yeah. games. There's fewer the I'm sure even the practices are regimented with the COVID protocols that just don't allow some of this cohesion to happen. I mean, that's where I'm seeing and we're going to talk about this in a second, but there was a there was a play, and I've referenced this for three straight podcasts. I'm sure my listeners are going <laughs> to like stab me, but it was a Damian Lillard dunk where he rejected a screen at the top of the key, and the screeners the screener was KP's man, and KP just says nothing, and as a result, uh, um, Richardson was anticipating a screen gets nothing. You know, he's like, you can see him, his hands like out, like he's feeling for it. And there's just nothing there. And, and, you know, um, Dame is quick and takes a, you know, real, like a straight line path and dunks. And after the play, you see Richardson just yelling at KP being like, you can't talk to me. And, and that is, has been kind of emblematic of, of what I, when, when you see some of these, like, it's one thing to get beat. It's something else when, when teams are just not communicating and as I've watched some of these really sloppy blowouts um, that have occurred this year, it feels like like that, that communication problem is just so evident where these guys, you know, particularly a team like Dallas, which is incorporating and really reincorporating pieces because of COVID and things like that, where it's just the, the lack of familiarity is just is, is causing 
you know, the uh, causing just like kind of a cascade of problems that I don't really even know where, where to begin with some of this stuff. I think, I mean, we have to acknowledge also that the, like it's the, I haven't been in, in there because uh, why would you, but like, I've heard from people with teams that are, you know, going to their team's games and it's the environment in the building is just weird. Sure. I mean, these are, these are, I mean, you know, you've been to an NBA game. These, these are big buildings. Yeah. And if there's nobody there, no matter what you do and, and the efforts at putting like atmosphere in the building just Mm -hmm. makes it even weirder because it's this like uncanny Valley of this is like, this is sort of like an NBA game, but it's just completely not. Um, and, and, you know, um, I don't want to say that, like, you want to psychoanalyze, but I can easily see, you know, you're a little maybe even self-conscious about just, like, you know, barking out the normal things you would in a basketball game. Right, because you can hear it. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, it's like getting in that sort of full concentration flow state there's a lot of, like the, the environment is probably a lot like it's hard mm-hmm. the, the, and you know the, the, there's miscommunications every game and every season um but we're just seeing more of them because of that or that's I don't know it. that but that's that's, yeah. that's a theory at least well um, this is is oh, go ahead sorry no so it's, i mean i think it's there's there's you know everything we're saying is a piece of it. There's the lack of cohesion. There's the sort of compressed, the, the, the schedule's a little bit compressed. And so what, you know, happens is the, it compounds because every team is running, you know, stuff that has slightly different wrinkles in terms of how they get into stuff. And so you're not having as much time to prep for those actions. And then you're not communicating. And then it's weird. So you're kind of you know, you're taken out of your, your, your mental state and all of these things are kind of building on each other. And then guys are just, you know, stroking every jump shot. And that's how we get, you know, scores in the one forties. Well, this is a, a pivot point of, of the the second thing that you wrote uh, yesterday on the athletic where you did a pretty lengthy piece talking about, um, you know, analytical offense and then, Talked about some some dream, uh, dream on green, and then you finished with a, a look at, at the problems with Chris Stapps Porzingis on defense. Now, Seth and I, for full disclosure, are in a Slack channel where, with some other friends, where we will you know just talk basketball and complain about all sorts of things. And probably looking at the game log here, you know, Chris Stapps Porzingis came back from his injury on um, January thirteenth. And the Mavericks uh, started their six-game losing streak sometime uh, about two weeks later on the, the, the 23rd. Somewhere in the middle of that streak, I started to lose my mind <laughs> to anyone who would listen about how Porzingis was looking. It bled over into our podcasts, probably the the – they played the Phoenix Suns on a back-to-back to end January and start February, almost a, uh, two years to the date from when he was traded uh, from the Knicks to the Mavericks. And he sat out the first game and played the second game. And in the second game, he just got worked by DeAndre Ayton. And since then, I've been very much firmly on the Mavericks need to move on from KP train because it, we have almost we have 17 games of data. 
and he does not look right. Now, the last few days, enough people, you wrote about this, Matt Moore wrote about this, a guy on our site, I meant to send you this before our podcast today, wrote this kind of 2,000-word look into the Mavericks defense as a whole. And I will, I, I, I will back away from my – I still think they need to move on from Porzingis. But when you look at the Mavericks defense as a whole, he is simply the most important – he's the linchpin for their defense – but he is not like it's not like everything is his fault. Uh, he's simply not. You know, they hire they hired him. You know, they brought him into the Mavericks to play very good offense and clean up defense. And what has happened over the past two years, in my opinion, and this is what I, I kind of want your thoughts on, is that his offense comes and goes because he's very reliant on deep ball shots. But his defense was what made him fairly consistent for the past. For his, most of his career, he's a pretty good rim defender. But now, if you're looking at the data, his his defense in almost all shapes and forms, any statistical measure that you're looking at, is alarming, is I think what what is a good term for it. Because it's not 17 games, not a ton of data, but it's enough to be like, oh no. So so can can you you know respond to that a little bit? I just did the talk about thing coaches do. What's wrong with me? Um <laughs> and, and, you know, let me know just sort of what what you're seeing from a, a, a less invested observer with Porzingis. I, I think alarming is, is probably the word that, that is, is right. I mean, as you say, like um, his, his the theory of him with the Mavericks is to be, a, 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 a you know, a, as you say, a cleanup defender around the rim who then on offense uh, still provides some uh, provides spacing and, and kind of a gravitational pull away from Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's fairly straightforward. I mean, it's, you know, a very kind of in uh, a, a more offensively dynamic version of what Brooke Lopez um, or, or Miles Turner give their, give their teams essentially. And, you know, for, a good portion of his career that actually has been a decent description of, of, of Porzingis. I think probably defensively closer to Turner than Lopez in that he's not a great rebounder. Um, and, you know, and, and, and Lopez is, is kind of the, the, the Lopez twins are kind of the, the, the poster children for um, along with Steven Adams for not you know necessarily grabbing a ton of rebounds themselves. But their team always rebounds really well. Can can you actually them on the floor? Could you explain that a little bit more? Because I get counting stats thrown at me all the time, and Porzingis' counting stats look fine. But the team as a whole is not good at like they're grabbing forty four percent of available rebounds right now. I think. Like yeah, well, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. So, (laughs) uh, so total rebounding is is kind of a weird stat because it's it's uh, you know that that as much as anything means that they're shooting worse than their opponents. Cause you know, you like you basically, if you're a, you know, a, 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 a defensive rebound, you're going to get, you're going to end up with 75% of the time, give or take, no matter what. So if you're, you know, right. if, if there's more shots you're missing than the other team, they're going to get more rebounds because they are having more easy opportunities. But in, in general, you know, we're talking about a, like a rebounding impact, um, mm-hmm. you know, Think of all those all those years where where Russell Westbrook averaged triple double for the Thunder, um, and Stephen Adams didn't get any rebounds because Russell Westbrook was getting them all. Because Stephen Adams was like blocking three guys out, 
so that Westbrook can get those rebounds. And then, so if you look at from a, uh, you know, an impact standpoint, um, you can, you can measure these things, you know, relative to whoever else is on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, for those three years where Russell Westbrook averaged a triple double, he was basically neutral in terms of, of whether or not they were a better rebounding team with him on defensive rebounding team with him on the court. They were a massively better defensive rebounding team with Steven Adams on the court, despite Steven Adams not getting rebounds. Uh, okay. And that's, okay. and that's, um, and there are some players who over the course of their careers have, have that profile, not necessarily being the guy who grabs the rebound, but they do a good job of making sure that the other team doesn't. So someone on the team gets the rebound. And that's the Mavericks don't have that. Anyone that does yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and, and you know, the guys we'll, we talk about with that is like Stephen Adams, the Lopez brothers and the Nay are kind mm-hmm. of the, the guys that, that come to mind who, you know, maybe have never been like massive individual rebound grab guys, but have always helped their teams rebound. Um, and that's a long window way of saying that Porzingis isn't that. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's been okay to good in terms of his individual rebounding, right? but he's never been particularly impactful in terms of, with, with the exception of last year. Um, and, you know, he played a short enough amount last year that that's, you know, you, don't, you would look to career data rather than single season data. And then this year, it's kind of snapped back again to being very poor in that area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and why that may be, it's complicated. And that's, that's one of those tough things about these kind of holistic impact stats is it identifies something that is happening without necessarily giving you clues as to why. Right. But, okay. <laughs> uh, but the, it, it just like, the Mavericks do not rebound well with defensively with with Porzingis on the floor, and that just that just is is opening up one of one of their many problems. And I, you know, reading you know, you, you highlighted the same play which made me want to pull my eyes out of my head uh, uh, in their win against the Hawks, which they just kind of escaped, where um, Porzingis is, you know, he's not. He's never going to be, you know, like the world's best rim defender or shot blocker. Like, I think he's a pretty good weak side helper. In theory, he should be a pretty side, pretty good weak side help, you know, because he's 7'3", comes flying out of nowhere and block shots. For his career, he's actually been maybe not elite, but he's been always in the very good area in terms of the, the, the percentage he allows when he defends the rim. He, he's and never been we're seeing, go, go bear or anything like that, but like that next cut down of like, you know, down from like the go bears and some Miles Turner's, the uh, Brooke Lopez is, well, is, and, is where, where, where Porzingis is. And that's like where the unicorn nickname came yeah. from in the sense of his ability to hit threes, his ability to defend the rim. Oh, there's so mm-hmm. much of it when you look at the best parts of his game where it's really, really tantalizing. But my challenge as in terms of talking about him night in and night out is even going back to last year, he had, they, he played 57 total games in the regular season. He, he had 15 to 20 really good games and the rest of those games, the other 40, the other, you know, 35, 45, whatever number you want to pick 
were just okay. And he's not a consistent player. And the play that you highlighted in the Hawks game where he is uh, in the short corner and John Con- and he's guarding um, Clint Capella. Capella. And he's kind of yeah. just not even guarding him. He's just kind of standing, you know, right, like one foot in the lane, one foot outside the block, and Capella's in the short corner. Collins rolls to the rim real hard, wide open. And Porzingis is watching the play. And the, the question that I have, uh, what he does is he, he tries to go, you know, tip the pass, Porzingis does. But he makes the read late, and he gets there late. And so he fouls him on an easy dunk, fouls John Collins. And so the question that I have, and this is basically unanswerable by data, is this Porzingis, you know, and it's kind of, it's one of the emblematic plays of his defense. Is this because he is still working through kind of the mental hurdles that come with having knee surgery, or has he actually lost it? And that's what I have no idea about. So on that particular play, like it's really because it's you know you're you're maybe even overselling the distance he has to it's it is basically all he has to do <laughs> on that play is take is take one step and jump and and so it's not it's not like his mobility is the problem on this play it's it's a it's a recognition he's so slow recognizing what's going on because if he see like he literally like if he if he reads the play like in normal like decently he tips the pass if he reads the play well he jumps up and catches the pass because he doesn't have that far to go um so it's not a it's not a the mind is willing and the the body is unable It's, it's he is like whatever is going on that allows him to recognize this development and then make the play isn't firing as 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 quickly as it as it needs to um, and there's and just not a really a good think, reason for it. <laughs> yeah, and I can't, I can't, you know, say, claim to have watched him closely enough over his career to see if, say, if that's, you know, if that's been a consistent thing. But based on kind of his his career long defensive impact stuff, I have to think that that is not what he's looked like. <laughs> you know, because right. that's like, you know, he's a guy who has had good rim protection numbers. Who has has had good overall defensive impact numbers over his career. And that's not the kind of play player. That's not a profile of a player you expect to see a count and a half late reacting to a fairly straightforward play. And it's, and, and from my view as somebody who has watched these Mavs games two and three times each, because I enjoy being angry, it's really kind of (laughs) surprising how much it's happened. And there was a, gosh, I can't remember the game, but he got a technical foul for something and ended up playing as hard as I've seen him play this season and was flying all over the court. And, you know, when you watch the guy play, sometimes it's a little alarming when he's really playing hard because I I described him as what a, he's almost like a child's drawing in terms of his body makeup because he has such long legs, such a high center of gravity that when he's going and jumping, he's kind of terrifying. Uh, because he's just limbs everywhere because he is like a very good straight line athlete, but it's, it's, there's just not, you know, uh, the reason I harp on him is because he's the person in the defense where they expect him to do a lot and he's just not able to right now, or he's not, he's just not doing it. And, and I'm not really sure where the Mavericks go other than working through film with him 
and maybe you know trying to show him some of this stuff because it's been it's been painful. Did did you happen to watch the uh, Blazers Mavericks game? Some of it. So in the fourth quarter, he's been doing he, he his proclivity for letting the ball handler go past him in the pick and roll because he thinks he can get a block is going to drive me crazy because he's fouling at a rate, you know, his, his block rate is at his block rate and steal rate are at the lowest percentages of his career. And his foul rate is at the highest. And so it's like that, that to me is just where I'm, I'm sometimes wondering if he just doesn't have it anymore, but then I see these flashes where it's like, man, that guy just, he just needs to be able to bring this intensity. I'm not, and you, you know, talking to the stats guy about the intensity is probably stupid of me, but there, there's just, I can't shake the feeling that there's still something there with him, but I don't know what they do to bring it out because the Mavericks defense as a whole, you know, it, it, apart from him is really problematic because all of their front, you know, their, their guards and the rest of their front line, it takes one dribble for players to get past them. It's really, it's really kind of wild to watch, uh, you know, and, and that's partially because of COVID, but it's also partially because I think they, the Mavericks kind of miss, you know, they, they they don't use players at their strengths on defense. Like Dorian Finney-Smith, for some reason, was guarding Dame Lillard instead of uh, Josh Richardson, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is kind of what I what I had hoped for because it's it's I'll, I'll explain it like this to our listeners: like you, myself, and Matt Moore, like just don't agree on things. Like that's partially why we enjoy arguing about basketball. All three of us have watched Porzingis and we're like, what is happening? <laughs> it's kind of, you know, in the Mavericks, if they want to make any noise, you know, playing games or otherwise, they have to fit. They have to be better than 28th on defense. Yeah, I obviously. Um, and so. I think where we, where we differ is your uh, is, and this is probably, you know, your investment as a, as a fan is like, oh, trade oh, everyone. Sure. And it's just like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's probably not going to happen. So what, what is going on? Like, what can be done? Right. He, like, regardless of where you think he is physically, he is a better player defensively than, than he is, than he is playing right now. And I, like, I think that's, it, it, I don't think it's, it's as recognized as readily as it should be. Guys go through bad streaks on defense, just like they do on offense. Sure. Like, for whatever reason, like, you know, sometimes you're fighting your shot and it's not going in. Sometimes your your you know your your ability to make reads is like you're getting in your own way. You're double you're 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 overthinking and, and double crossing yourself just mentally. And you know, like the play we just talked about, that's not a it wasn't like there's not a lack of effort or or it's it's or you know, moving slowly. It is the delay in when you're starting and that's that that's like something is just like the decision making isn't happening right and you know play better is is, <laughs> is no and, and there's no no there's no like and that's and that's kind of that's what coaching and practice is, is for to, to help like work through those those kind of mental things to to you know get to just so the, that that decision just happens, mm-hmm. and and because if it doesn't, the NBA is a fast enough game where if it doesn't just happen, it's too late. And right. so he's in that spot right now where 
I don't know. Is he thinking too much? Is he is he is he not focused? Is something physically wrong with him that's that's causing some kind of distraction? I I don't know. And and yeah, you yeah. Know, that, that like any any of those answers is you might give to that is pure purely speculative. But right. So, and on the other hand, like seventeen games isn't actually that much. I know it's frustrating for you, but you know he's he's probably on your team for you know, a while. Yeah. No, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the trade, you know, it's, it's, it was a worthwhile trade. Every team makes that trade and it's something that they have to work through. And it's just, I don't know. There's, there's all these little pieces that, that the Mavericks were very much, I talked about this last night on a different podcast where I said the Mavericks started 2019, 2020, 16 and six. And I wonder if that wasn't a little bit of fool's gold because I feel like since then they've been trying to get back to the playing like that. And, you know, the Mavericks thought they had found something with their spacing and with where they have had, you know, gone and with kind of the fact that their defense was like, you know, 16th to 20th and they were fine with it because they were winning. But since then, they've essentially played 500 basketball going almost 75, you know, 75 games now. And I, I just, I, it's, it's very, it's very hard for me to figure out what's where they're, you know, where, what kind of team they are because, and, and most teams fit together, right? But none of the pieces, like the, the Mavericks are currently like a, a you know, like a, a puzzle set where the pieces just aren't fitting and they can't figure out why. There's, there, there's, you know, it seems to me that the best version of the Mavericks, you have four pieces that should fit together, and it's that fifth piece. Like I, it's, it's a lineup that it, that starts with with Vuka and Josh Richardson and Finney Smith and Porzingis should work. Mm-hmm. That that really should. And who, but but, okay, you maybe want a little bit more shooting, so then maybe Tim Hardaway, but. That's a pretty bad defensive lineup and an awful rebounding lineup. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, may, then, like, you know, maybe, you know, and and I think that, that you know, the, the last year's version of Max Kleba makes a lot of sense. They don't right. – yeah, I think for any number of reasons, they don't have that guy right now. And, and you know, maybe as he kind of works – because, you know, he, he's a guy who's been very good for them over the last couple of years and has also been – not so good this year. Um, so, uh, but, you know, Kleba hasn't been as, as good. And, and, yeah. you know, I know that you, you railed against Dwight Powell and, and like, where does, where does a guy like Jalen Brunson fit in next to Doncic? Like the, there's a right. lot of just sort of, but there should be like, you start with like Doncic and Richardson and Finney Smith makes sense as kind of yep. a trio. Oh, uh, and Porzingis as a big guy with that kind of trio makes sense. It's just several of them aren't playing very well, and who's the fifth guy? So it's 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 you know you can either be like you know crazy fan guy Kirk and blow everything up, sure, or, <laughs> sure. or you know, or it's you know there's some there's some tinkering to be done here. Um, and, you know, and, to, to and, tail and Horton Tucker or go sign uh, Alex Caruso and the what these white men are dangerous meme. No, I, I it there there's there's some options. I just uh, the the KP stuff just it's 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 alarming to the point because I don't remember him looking like this defensively before. 
the everything else I think kind of works itself out because Luca is that talented well, offensively, and they have you know lots of other options and things. You know, Brunson. Can, like can we end on Luca for just a couple minutes? Yes, just a couple he, minutes. I mean, <laughs> he he has been he has labored this year. Like, is is that yeah. fair to say? Like, I think he yeah. Of, he still can get places, but it's like there's there's games this year. I think we talked about it when they played Phoenix. Like, okay, DeAndre Ayton's got decent feet for a big guy. It shouldn't take Luca five dribbles to break DeAndre Ayton down. Yeah. And and so it's you know you talk about everything just being a little bit harder. We talked mm-hmm. at the beginning about the like the the the, the small changes in the defense making making you know certain strategies untenable. If this percentage yeah. swing a little bit, if Luca is just a little bit worse at getting got by guys when he has an advantage, and the whole team is built around him creating those advantages, like you you you've made the environment tougher for guys. Like Josh Richardson needs to have get open shots set up for him. Dorian Finney Smith needs to get open shots set up for him. If you're just a a little bit worse at creating those situations, all of a sudden everyone starts to look worse. And, yeah, you know, and they they don't have a the vertical threat. I think paired with kind of Luca being out of shape really has has hurt them. He's he's been a lot better recently, and his he's so much he's currently shooting so much better from the mid range that it's helping kind of you know keep his stat numbers similar. But there, it, it that that's you're right. That's probably a piece that isn't talked about enough about how it's just enough difficult, more difficult for him which has kind of a cascade effect down the rest of the offense. Yeah. And, you know, they maybe, maybe expectations were a little too high entering the year. And, and some of the, some of the agitation is based on that rather than you still have, you know, uh, what, what could be a very nice core going forward. It's just not quite happening yet. Right. Well, this has been, <laughs> be, be patient. That's easy, right? Just be patient. Kirk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's probably the best advice. As always, this has been fun. I will uh, attempt to perhaps bother you closer to the playoffs and see if you'd come on. Guys, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, it is the best probably sports coverage dollar for dollar that you will find. Uh, I know people don't like paying for stuff, but it's worth it. The app's good. The content's great. It's worth, you know, across all sports. I really, really enjoy it. Seth, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me and, you know, namaste. Yep. All right. Have a good day, buddy.